So let's begin the sermon today by jumping right into Scripture. I'd like to begin by asking you to turn to Psalm 15. Psalm 15. It's a beautiful psalm, and it is also a hymn that we sing, and you're familiar with it. It asks a question, and then it gives an answer, and it's worth meditating on, and we'll use this Scripture to launch the sermon today. Psalm 15. It may be subtitled in your Bible, The Character of Those Who May Dwell with the Eternal or Dwell with the Lord. Psalm 15, verse 1, begins by asking a question. Lord or Eternal, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? Again, familiar words, but we should meditate on them and not take them lightly. The very question here is who can have eternal life? This is of utmost interest to all of us, obviously, who may dwell forever in the family of God? And then the answer, God gives us the answer or some of the answers here through David. Uh, He who walks uprightly, that's one of the qualifications, and works righteousness. There's working of righteousness, and of course that relates to God's law, and speaks the truth in his heart, someone who's sincere, He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor do evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. And there's more to the psalm in verse 4. In whose eyes a vile person, someone who's wicked, uh, is despised. Not that you hate the person, but you hate the sin. And you're willing to acknowledge what's abominable and, and, and call it abominable. And you'll see that thread come out in the sermon uh, today. So the question is, who can have eternal life? And this is not a question that you've never heard asked before in the church, I I would assume. Uh, And there are a number of answers that are given, uh, which we reviewed, and I'd like to zero in on uh, some of the answers, which are those who speak the truth in his heart, those who do not backbite with his tongue. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 10, again, as we're setting the stage for the sermon today, Proverbs Chapter 10, beautiful poetic proverb in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 32, Proverbs 10, verse 32, Uh, verse 31, it's a couplet and verse 31 makes a similar point. Um, The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut out. But I want to focus on verse 32, Proverbs 31, I'm sorry, Proverbs 10, verse 32, The lips of the righteous, and hopefully this is us, the lips of the righteous. We we want to be righteous before God. We strive to be righteous before God. We want to be right before God. As Mr. Armstrong would explain, uh, to be justified, it's to be aligned, to be made right. And how are we aligned and how are we made right? It's by submitting our will and our preferences and our mind to the eternal, to God, through his law and obeying his law and loving his law and wanting to live according to his law. So the lips of the righteous, hopefully that's us, know what is acceptable. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. 
but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse or knows what is perverse. The righteous, brethren, we already saw a reference to this, but the righteous don't compromise. They don't compromise. They don't call evil good. We'll explore that in more detail. Nothing new for you, but we'll explore that more uh, in the sermon. Uh, But they also don't cut down and put down and backbite and murmur and slander and speak evil of of others. The righteous don't approve of sin, but the righteous don't stir up strife or contention either. The title of the sermon today is The Lips of the Righteous, which obviously we're taking from uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 32, The Lips of the Righteous. And uh, I often have a subtitle. I find it helpful. So if you like, uh, the subtitle is dash acceptable conversation to God. The lips of the righteous, acceptable conversation to God. Today's objective is first to discuss some instructions and some merits and some benefits uh, about righteous conversation to, to make it very practical, I hope. Uh, conversation that's pleasing to God, conversation that's a qualification to inherit eternal life. Very important. And then we'll discuss an often overlooked key, something I found very helpful. I I hope you'll find it helpful. I have to work on righteous conversation. Uh, Probably you do as well. And there's a key that I found uh, that's very helpful. And I'll tell you that key right now. And we'll explore that key and spend time with that key. It will help you and help me to have more righteous conversation that's acceptable to God. And that key is patience. Patience. Very interesting when you combine that key and apply that to today's topic. Now, before we get into the body of the sermon, I would like to quickly define uh, sort of the territory that we're going to explore today or some aspects of it, lest there's any sort of confusion uh, before we get into the, uh, the, the heart of the sermon. Uh, so two quick points. Uh, the first point we've already discussed, which is that the righteous don't condone sin. And you, you may want to jot that down in your notes. The righteous don't call good evil and evil good. Uh, where can we turn to see a, a scripture that would support that? Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. So again, familiar territory, but I think it's important uh, as we uh, begin the sermon to qualify what we'll be discussing today just a little bit and to just state very clearly that the righteous do not condone sin. Uh, So Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. So here we have God inspiring the prophet Isaiah, uh, one of the most uh, prolific of the uh, Old Testament uh, prophets as far as what's been recorded. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. And what God inspires Isaiah to write is, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, uh, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Uh, God hates that. He, he hates that. He hates sin, and he hates when people call what is wicked good. 
And it's much too easy, it would be much too easy for me to now go off for quite a long amount of time in the sermon today and list all of what's going on in society that you're very aware of, the evils, the abominations in society today. And we'll touch on some scriptures later that discuss these abominations, but uh, the point at this time I want to make is that what does the world tell you to say? What does the world tell you to to say about the evils? Uh, the world tells you to accept, to be tolerant. And really, we've moved beyond that in the world, and you, you can't just accept or tolerate. You have to call evil good. That's what the world wants you to do. And true Christians won't do that. God says, woe to those <clears throat> who call these abominations good. And there's a lot of abominations, a lot of abominations, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Uh, verse 21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Sort of reminds you of that first chapter of Romans and where God talks about those who deny the creator and they, 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 they want to be wise. They feel they're wise in their own eyes and uh, they embrace and promote uh, abominations. Uh, woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink who justify the wicked for a bribe who take away justice from the righteous man <clears throat> there's a lot of abominations in the world today not just some of the more uh you know uh vulgar ones but uh, injustice injustice oppression uh, wronging people who are weak uh, god uh, god does not condone that god hates that as well verse 24 therefore because of a world that's sort of Topsy-turvy, as Dr. Meredith would say, right? Calling evil good and good evil. Uh, God will be indignant, and he says, Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble, and the flame consumes the chaff, so their root will be as rottenness, and their blossom will ascend like dust, because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts. They've rejected God's law, the Ten Commandments in the Bible. <clears throat> so they've rejected and despised God's law. And despise the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, the anger of the Eternal is aroused against his people. And so this is a prophecy that applies to modern times as well. <clears throat> but the point that I want to make here is, woe to those who condone sin. Woe to those who condone sin. So we do not condone sin. And we don't approve of it. And we don't say it's okay. But somehow we're supposed to, nonetheless, uh, be able to have righteous communication and communication pleasing to God. So how do, we, how do we do that? How do we do that? Point number two, as we begin the sermon, <clears throat> the righteous cover transgression. The righteous cover transgression. And that point requires a little more time. Uh, I hope that I can explain it well in a brief amount of time because again this is really not the the body of the sermon yet but point number two the righteous cover transgression <clears throat> uh, let's turn to just a couple scriptures to make this point uh, luke chapter six is a good um, uh, passage that will help make the point uh, but the righteous they seek to preserve peace they seek to preserve peace among brethren and family and neighbors Let's turn to Luke chapter 6. 
and verse 37. Here Jesus is talking about how to deal with others and loving your enemies and, uh, you know, do do good for others. And verse 37, he tells uh, his disciples and the uh, those surrounding him to uh, judge not. And, do, and you will not be judged, condemn not, and you shall not be condemned, forgive, and you will be forgiven. Now, we've given sermons and written articles about this and the Greek word and, you know, krinos and condemn and so forth. We are to judge righteously in the church. We are to judge matters in the church. Uh, you are to discern what is right and wrong. Uh, but we are not quick to condemn. We're not quick to condemn. We seek to preserve peace. Uh, we're not quick to judge. We want to be compassionate. We want to be merciful. If we are, then God will be merciful and compassionate with us. Now, still under this point here uh, regarding the righteous cover transgression, it's important to qualify that and say, well, you won't repeat or spread gossip or rumors or tell about somebody's wrongdoing. You know, if one of your friends made a D on a test because he or she didn't take it seriously and didn't study and they made a D and they're embarrassed about it. Is there necessarily a reason for you to go tell everybody they made a D? Probably not, right? That's, that's, there's no benefit. I see some heads nodding. Um, but what if your friend drank too much and was going to get in his or her car? Well, then should you cover the sin? Well, it takes it takes some discernment. <clears throat> you don't want somebody to get in their car drunk and possibly hurt themselves or others. Would you intervene them? Absolutely. So <clears throat> the righteous don't spread rumors to harm unless there's a need to protect the safety of others. Uh, instead, they practice what's found in Proverbs 17, verse 9. Let's turn back to Proverbs 17, verse 9. Proverbs 17, verse 9. He who covers a transgression seeks love. He who covers a transgression seeks love. You know, if your neighbor sinned against you, if you don't need to go tell everybody in the neighborhood that that your neighbor is a bad person, um, then don't. (laughs) Don't. If they, you know, whatever the example is, right? They had a tree that, you know, the branch fell, broke your fence, and they didn't want to repair it and so forth. They did you wrong. Um, If you don't need to go spread that transgression around, then don't. He who covers a transgression seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates the best of friends. There has to be some discernment, some judgment here um, in when you do and when you don't um, tell something that's, uh, that's potentially a transgression or a sin. Let's turn to one of the most important chapters that kind of gives us some instructions regarding how to deal with the sinning brother. And that's Matthew 18, of course. Matthew 18. Because when you have a brother or a sister or a neighbor or a coworker or a fellow student or whatever who sins against you, um, there usually needs to be, as a consequence of that, conversation. Right? Conversation. And what we're talking about today is righteous conversation before the Lord, righteous conversation before God. 
And so Matthew 18 gives us some uh, guidelines regarding how we would have a conversation uh, regarding uh, someone who has maybe offended us or sinned against us. So again, um, this is still the point uh, regarding the righteous cover of transgression. Notice the instructions uh, from uh, Jesus Christ here. Matthew 18, what do you do first? Matthew 18, verse 15. Now, we're going to read this in the Mr. Seselka uninspired version just for a moment. I don't really have that Bible. Uh, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, immediately put it on Facebook and Twitter. And right. So what do we do? Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Brother, and I know this is so fundamental, and I, I, I know it is, but we, we have to, in the beginning of the sermon, we, I, I felt we needed to cover these two points. Uh, so if your brother sins against you, you need to have a conversation with him or her. And go alone, go privately. If that doesn't work, verse 16, take a witness or two. Hopefully someone who's fair and impartial. Maybe you're not communicating properly to them. Maybe, maybe your brother wants to reconcile, but you're making it hard because of how you're, you know, worked up or the way you're communicating to them. So take a couple witnesses. You're not taking witnesses to gang up on the person. You're taking witnesses so that right can be established and peace can be established. That's what God wants. If that is unsuccessful, then you go to the church. You go to the, uh, the ministry. And uh, we've talked about this before. You don't spread it to the whole church. Uh, it is up to the ministry to deal with disciplinary matters. Jesus was talking to his disciples here in verse 1, those who would be the ministry, the apostles, the ministry in the church. And again, we've explained this more thoroughly in the past. Uh, you don't uh, go to them privately, then take a couple people, and then put it on Facebook. You don't go to them privately, then take a couple people, then tell everybody in the church. You go to them privately, then you take a couple people, then you go to the ministry, and the ministry will try to help, and hopefully they can bring reconciliation. So the, right, the righteous we see, they don't want to cause discord. Uh, we've also seen that they're stalwart in their uh, commitment to the law, uh, but they're humble, and there's patience. There's patience being exhibited uh, in these scenarios. Uh, they're strong in the faith. They're uncompromising, but they do not seek to stir up strife. And in all of this, the lips of the righteous produce conversations which are, let's not forget, pleasing, pleasing to the eternal. Pleasing. What's one of the things you and I can do to please the eternal? Righteous conversation. Righteous conversation. God is pleased when we deal with each other and our, our neighbors in a way that's loving and, and uh, again, that's, that's righteous and that's kind and patient. Let's go through a number of biblical admonitions very quickly um, about complaining and unrighteous speaking. This is sort of a little bit of a you know, negative few minutes of the sermon here. Um, we're going to just review a couple scriptures regarding sort of the, the wrong approach. Uh, let's move quickly. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 9. Just to remind ourselves about God's mind on conversation and 
Of course, we know that conversation comes from the heart and comes from our attitude. We'll talk about that uh, in the second part of the sermon. So Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 9 The hypocrite with his mouth uh, destroys his neighbor. We touched on that already. The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor. The hypocrite claims that he wants to be a peacemaker, claims he wants to be a good person. But God says, no, no, that person's a hypocrite. They're, they're out to destroy. They're out to you know, prop themselves up uh, and hurt others. But the, through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. The sermon today hopefully will include some, some knowledge that we can apply about how we can be delivered uh, when we find ourselves in contested situations. Because those situations will come, and they'll come faster, and they'll come more intensely in the years to come. And you'll see that, uh, Christ says they will, uh, later in the sermon. We're back in Proverbs. Let's just notice in uh, Proverbs 11, verse 13. Proverbs 11, verse 13. A talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is a faithful spirit conceals a matter. Again, I use the example of your friend makes a D on a quiz or a test, and they didn't take it seriously, they didn't study. You know, don't be a talebearer. You don't need to tell everybody. You know, it doesn't help them. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 13, just uh, maybe over a page. Proverbs 12, verse 13. The wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will come through trouble. You know, there's a law, just like the law of tithing. Uh, it works. Tithing works. And there's a law regarding conversation and about fearing God and keeping his law. And if we keep his law and we fear him in a right way, we, we, we want to do what is right. We want to have a good, humble attitude. Uh, Proverbs 12, verse 13 tells us that we will come through trouble, but the wicked, they'll be ensnared by their own devices, their own, uh, what they say by their own lips. That's not pleasing to God. Let's turn to the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 12. Here we see Jesus Christ condemning the Pharisees. It's very interesting when you think about this. I, it, it's worth meditating on. You know, when you read uh, the gospel accounts, and you have Jesus Christ uh, dealing with the Pharisees and the hard-headed Israelites. You know, this, this is the rock. This is the rock. This is, this is Christ who's been dealing with them at this point for, what, 1,500 years? Same people. Not, not literally the same people, but, you know, the same type of people that murmured in the wilderness, that called his way hard that wanted to stone Moses and Aaron same same he's dealing with the same problem and here he is now you know on the earth as Jesus the son of God and there they are you know they're they're murmuring against him still and being hard-headed again and hard-hearted again and so what does Jesus condemn the Pharisees about Matthew 12 verse 35 uh, Matthew 12:35 <clears throat> A good, uh, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his, of his heart brings forth evil things. But I say to you, I say to you, 
that whoever... So I say to you that for every idle word men speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Verse 37, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign, and so forth. And he calls them an evil and adulterous generation. Contentious, just like they were in the wilderness, just like they'd been down through the, you know, through the, the centuries. Christ was very patient with them. He's been patient with them, hasn't he? He's patient with us. We're judged by what we say. We're judged by our words, by God, by Christ, even our idle words. Uh, Peter talks about this. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 very quickly. 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter 2 verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking. Instead, instead, our attitudes should be, as is described in verse two, as newborn babes desiring milk of the word that you may grow thereby. We should we should desire, you know, the truth and the sermons and the sermonettes and the Tomorrow's World magazine and the Living Church news articles and the Bible studies that are given. We should desire righteous conversation with our friends in the church at the Feast of Tabernacles. You should look forward to the conversations you'll have. You know, it's wonderful to have a, a wine and cheese or whatever you want to have with your, your friends, and, but have righteous conversation. Desire it like newborn babes desire the pure milk that comes from their mother. Lay aside guile, hypocrisy, evil speaking. You know, thankfully, I, I really do commend I, the church. From what I can tell, I don't see uh, guile or evil speaking. I'm not saying we're all perfect, but um, I'm younger. But for those of us who have been around, grew up in the church, I grew up in the church. And I remember in the 70s and 80s, I was a kid back then. But I remember, you know, the, uh, sometimes the conversation wasn't as good as it should have been. And I, I really, truly don't see that. Uh, I'm not saying we're perfect every day, but I don't see that uh, here or when I go out and visit. I don't see that as much. I'm sure we can all do better sometimes. <clears throat> I won't turn to it, but you could just jot down John 6, verse 43, where Jesus uh, tells the uh, disciples and he says don't murmur among yourselves you know murmuring is something uh, that he doesn't want us to uh, be doing let's turn to first corinthians chapter six i want to spend a moment here first corinthians chapter six before we transition um, to some examples of uh of murmuring and unrighteous conversation and start drawing some lessons about how we can better handle situations let's turn to first corinthians six because i'd like to make a point which i feel is is important 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. <clears throat> Do you not know that the unrighteous... Now, we've just established that the righteous have pleasing conversations to God, right? The righteous know how to talk to each other, and God's pleased. So 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. But do you not know that the unrighteous... Hopefully, this is not us... 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, we know that, right? We know that. And then it goes through and lists some horrible, abominable, terrible, disgusting, vile, evil sins. Right? Fornication, that's horrible. Idolatry, that's horrible. Adultery, that's horrible. Homosexuality, we see that and that's horrible and it is. Sodomy, which is another type and that's horrible. These are God's words. Disgusting, terrible, thieves. It's terrible to be a thief. Covetous, drunkards, revilers. Interesting, interesting. Hmm. You know, God says revilers will not inherit the kingdom of God either. Which sin's worse? Which sin is worse? What was Israel guilty of when God sent the fiery serpents? What was Israel guilty of when God opened up the earth to swallow Korah and the leaders during the rebellion? They were guilty of almost all of the things listed here. But reviling and murmuring was part of it. You know, let's not give ourselves a pass. You know, we're not as evil as the world is regarding some of these disgusting things we see here. And I know we're not as evil as the world is regarding conversation. I know we're not. But it, we need to take it seriously. God wants us to have a pleasing and right conversation. <clears throat> Any of these sins not repented of. And, you know, uh, Paul says here that... Um, as, and such were some of you, but they repented. They were washed clean by Christ's sacrifice. They were washed, they were sanctified, they were justified. You know, if, if you've been guilty of any type of sin, practicing any type of sin, you can repent. You need to repent. Any practiced sin, any practiced sin unrepented of will keep us out of the kingdom. That's clear from scripture we need to repent we need to have a spirit of repentance we need to strive to overcome any type of sin thievery adultery homosexuality reviling reviling okay let's go back to the old testament and look at a couple examples which um, any sermon on this topic almost needs to include uh, let's turn to Numbers chapter 14 and look at one of the biggest Old Testament examples of Israel murmuring. And I hope to be able to draw out some, hopefully some helpful points here. Uh, Numbers chapter 14. <clears throat> a uh, fam familiar passage, of course. <clears throat> but again, I hope to bring out some, some helpful points. So this is the account where Israel... Uh, came back, or the, the the leaders of the or the the uh, nominees from each of the tribes came back from spying out the uh, the promised land, and they said that uh, you know that, they, that there were giants and they couldn't go up. They brought back a bad report. Numbers four, uh, thirteen, verse thirty one and thirty two. They brought back a bad report, an evil report, and they said they couldn't go into the promised land, and they said they saw giants and so forth. So then we come down to verse uh, one of chapter fourteen, Numbers fourteen. Chapter 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices. We'll spend some time in this chapter. 
All the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. So they just had a complete meltdown, to use modern lingo, right? Um, you know, which is really amazing. And I just, we will hopefully work with some of these people in the future. And, um, you know, we're going to be sympathetic toward them. And, and, and I am, because, you know, they, the vast majority of them, uh, you know, they were just carnal and so forth. They, they'd gone through a lot. But it's hard to understand, right? I mean, God just brought to its knees the mightiest empire at that time, you know, about a millennia and a half before Christ's birth, and um, brought, it, brought, it to it, to, brought Egypt to its knees, right? Wonderful, you know, miracles, and we, we know, and, uh, you know, the, just all you know, the cloud of fire, pillar of, pillar of fire, and so forth, and the Red Sea, and so forth, and, and then Israel just falls apart, right? And so they, they, they weep, and they, they fall apart, and um, they murmur against Moses and Aaron, the whole congregation, and, uh, you know, this is really a dangerous situation. This, is, this is, truly is a dangerous situation. We're going to take our time and go through this. But this is a dangerous situation for Moses and Aaron, for the leadership. Uh, they intend to kill them if they don't get their way, as you see in a couple of verses. They, they will murder them. They will kill them, as you see in, the, in a couple verses, if they don't get their way. So this is contention, evil speaking, murder in the heart, murder on the lips, and so they murmur against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation, um, <clears throat> said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the eternal brought us to this land uh, to fall by the sword? You know, uh, just uh, falsely accusing God of, of capriciousness. God is not capricious. And uh, accusing Moses and Aaron that, that they're, you know, God brought them out to, to, to have them and their families killed. Um, would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So you have an insurrection here. You have a rebellion. You have an insurrection. You have unrighteous conversation. How do insurrections occur? How do uh, rebellions occur? How are governments overthrown? It begins with thought. And it's spread through conversation. It's always been that way. It's always been that way. So they said to one another, let us select a leader. And return to Egypt. <clears throat> How did Moses and Aaron respond to this? Moses and Aaron fell on their faces. They fell on their faces. They, maybe their hearts were beating fast. But they did not fight back. They did not yell. They did not get into a big argument. They did not run away. They prostrated themselves before the eternal. Before God. Now, I don't know how nervous they were, but they did not revile against the children of Israel at this point. They fell on their faces. I mean, the nation of Israel is ready to kill them. And they fall on their faces before God. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, verse 6. They tore their garments. And this is a intense uh, situation, an episode here. <clears throat> Verse 7. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is a good land. They're trying to reason, uh, uh, Caleb and, and, and Joshua. Verse 8, if the eternal delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. 
you know, here we have, I believe, a wonderful example of, frankly, a righteous rebuke or righteous retort, right? <clears throat> They're stating their faith in God, that God can bring them into it. Uh, <clears throat> if the Lord delights in us, he will cause us to come into it. Verse 8, verse 9, do not rebel against the eternal, nor fear the people of the land. They are our bread. Their protection has departed from them. So Joshua and Caleb had this great faith. Verse 10. All the congregation. How many thousands were there gathered around? Tens of thousands. You know, we estimate that there were in the low millions of people who God brought out of Egypt. And I don't know if they were all able to gather right there, but... <clears throat> What did they, how did they respond? They said, let's grab stones and let's stone them. Now here God intervenes. The glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Verse 10. And what had Moses and Aaron done? What had they, what did they do during this time? We don't know if they did something else, but all that's recorded for us is that they fell on their faces and prayed. And that requires some patience. That requires some faith, some fortitude. The Lord said to Moses, verse 11, how long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me? Now, God is very patient, and God is going to test Moses' patience here. And he reminds uh, Moses and them that he'd perform signs, verse 11, and so God says, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make you a nation. We've talked about this in sermons before. A, uh, a, you know, a, a test for Moses here. And Moses said to the eternal, then the Egyptians will hear it, and, and they'll know that, you know, they'll, they'll talk about it, and they'll, they'll ridicule you. And Moses intercedes, and he calls on God to be patient and loving and kind. Verse 14, they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, eternal, are among the people, that you, eternal, are seen face to face with and that your clouds stand above them and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So Moses is interceding. You know, Moses was very humble, right? We're told that most humble man, exceedingly humble. Was he exceedingly patient? Tremendous patience here. They've been wearing on him. The congregation had been wearing on him. Moses was humble. Moses was faithful. Moses was patient. He didn't ask for the quick way out. Yeah, God, strike them down and make a nation out of me. If you kill these people, then the nations which have heard of your name, your fame, will speak, saying, because the eternal was not able to bring his people out to the land which he swore to give them, he killed them in the wilderness. Now, therefore... Or sorry, and now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying the eternal is long-suffering, patient. Moses reminded God that God is patient. And God is. And God was testing Moses here. We understand that. God is patient, long-suffering, abundant in mercy. Are we abundant in mercy? Forgiving. Are we forgiving? But he by no means clears the guilty. 
He doesn't call evil good and good evil. Verse 19, pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy. Moses had massive, massive faith, incredible humility, so strong in the faith, in, in faith. Of course, you know, God perfect in patience, perfect in love. Patience is threaded throughout this story on behalf of Moses, his example, and the eternal's example. And we know the rest of the account. Um, verse 34, according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, you'll bear uh, you know, your, your guilt. So there was going to be um, you know, judgment and, frankly, condemnation from God on those who rebelled. Verse 27, God says he's not going to bear with the evil congregation who murmured against him. He's heard the murmurings. He's heard the murmurings. Verse 29, he's going to have them wander in the wilderness until that generation dies. God doesn't call evil good, but he wasn't going to snuff them all out. He was still going to work with them patiently. Caleb, Joshua, verse 30. And they were not going to be caused to, to die in the wilderness. They, you know, God was pleased with their attitudes and what they said. Verse 31, but your little ones whom you said would be victims, I will bring in to the promised land, the land which you despised. But as for you, those who had murmured against God, who wanted to take the quick and easy way out, who wanted to kill Moses and Aaron... They would fall in the wilderness. Your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness. Your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. Patience, brethren. It's a key to righteous conversation. It's a quality that the father has. And we see Moses has. For sake of time, I won't uh, spend much time dealing with uh, Korah's rebellion, but let's just turn over a page or two to Numbers chapter 16, another example of um, you know, unrighteous conversation, of contention, of rebellion, of insurrection. Numbers chapter 16, Korah, the son of Ishar, and so forth, he gathered together some leaders, Dathan, others, and they rose up before Moses, verse 2. 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. Verse 3, they gather together against Moses and Aaron. And there's really a number of lies. If you go through this account, there's at least four lies. Can you find the four lies right here? Um, that just real rapid succession that are, you know, foisted, uh, that are manufactured by these rebels. Uh, they claim that uh, Moses took too much upon himself. Is that true? Well, no, God appointed Moses. That's a lie. Uh, they made a really insidious contortion of the truth here. Uh, the second lie, which is a, an abuse of something, which is that all the congregation are holy, so, you know, thus, all the congregation can make their own decisions. And uh, that's, that's, we see that sometimes even not in 
the living church of God, but you see that sometimes in those who were once associated with our fellow, our, our former uh, fellowship, that argument, well, we're all holy, we can all do what we want to make our own decisions. Well, God decides who's holy, and God appoints ranks, and God had appointed Moses, and God had appointed Aaron. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said, you take too much upon yourselves. That's a lie. All the congregation is holy. Clearly not. The rebels weren't holy. Every one of them and the Lord is among them. Why then do you uh, exalt yourselves above the congregation of the Lord? Uh, That's a lie. Moses and Aaron didn't exalt themselves. God appointed them. So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying that every time there's an argument, you have to fall on the floor and pray. Um, But we see that that's what Moses did here. Now, Moses then, he's not just a pushover. What does he say? He says, he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Eternal will show who is, whole, who is his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near to him, that one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. So take the censers and put fire in them and so forth. Uh, again, you know the account. We'll have to move quickly through it. <clears throat> Verse 8, Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it a small thing to you that God... That the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself. So, again, Moses is acknowledging that God was the one who had appointed them to perform this function. Verse 11. Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the eternal. And what is Aaron that you murmur against him? So, again, just this terrible uh, attitude of rebellion. We need to skip through this so they, they get the censers, we know. And verse 19, the Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle meeting, and the glory of the eternal appeared to all the congregation. Verse 20, and the eternal spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them. There is consequence when there's rebellion. Verse 22, then they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin? And you be angry with all again. You really see patience. You really do. You do not see weakness with Moses. You see humility and you see long suffering. And I think that's a tremendous key to help us to have righteous conversation. Who's as humble as Moses in this room? Let's not raise our hand, right? (laughs) Who's as humble as Moses? Who's as patient as Moses? That might be a good question to also ask. I'm, I'm guilty of this, right? You know, it's a bad day and, and uh, you know, whatever. You know, they don't, some, something doesn't happen right and you're, you, just, you get all upset. You know, over what, right? Over what? I mean, they wanted to murder him. God spoke to Moses face to face. I mean, Moses had every right to snap. But you don't see that. You see patience. But you don't see weakness. You don't say, he didn't say, you're right. All the congregation's holy. You guys decide how you want to organize church. And I'm just going to pause right there, so I don't want to get in trouble. But um, there's organization, there's authority in the church. And I wish that some of the, those who were once with us could understand that and apply that. And don't buy the lie 
that we're all holy so we can all do what we want. So there's consequence. Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. He spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. He touched nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from there and so forth. And um, we know the account. Um, they came out of their tents, their wives, their children, their little children. And then Moses said, verse 28, By this you shall know that the Eternal has sent me to do all these works, where I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally and so forth, then, you know, then that, that would work, you know, contradict them. But if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens up, verse 30, then, then you'll know that these men have rejected the eternal. And so it came to pass that as he finished speaking these words, the ground split apart under them. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their households and corn and their households. And they all went in to the earth. They went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry for they said, lest the earth swallow us up. And then a fire comes out from the eternal and consumes the 250 men who were offering incense. And then, of course, Israel learned their lesson. And the next morning we read here in verse 30, 41 that they had great attitudes, right? Verse 41. The next day they got up and murmured. So, you know, it's, it's a habit. It's a human weakness, Right? And it's interesting because then you have more than a thousand years later, God, who did this, is born of a, of a virgin, of the Virgin Mary. His name is Jesus. He grows up. He begins his ministry. He's dealing with that attitude all over again with Pharisees, isn't he? Right? And they're accusing him and they're reviling him and they're murmuring against him. And they're creating sedition against him. Okay, <clears throat> so we don't want to be, obviously, um, of that type of, of attitude, and <clears throat> we don't want to uh, fall victim to complaining and contentious conversation and reviling. It separates us from God in a very real way. And there's an interesting scripture I'd like to draw your attention to. I, you, again, I know most of us are familiar with many of these uh, wonderful little jewels, but let's turn to Isaiah chapter 29. When you are in an attitude of contentiousness, when you or I uh, murmur and argue and complain and get bitter and grumpy and discontent and impatient, it's interesting. There's a, a law that goes into effect. <clears throat> Just like there's a law regarding tithing and it works, and there's a law regarding, you know, all kinds of benefits regarding observing and keeping God's uh, Ten Commandments, the, the royal law and the holy days. There's also, there's many laws that, 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 that govern the universe and govern us as human beings. Uh, many of those laws, they're very real, but we don't sometimes think about them as much as we, we should. When someone is contentious, when someone's attitude is bitter, when they fall into a bitter state... They begin to lose understanding. They, God actually removes understanding from them. And you see, we, we can turn to many scriptures that make this point, but I'm just going to turn to one. Isaiah 29, verse 24. Isaiah 29, verse 24. And you see contradiction here. You, you see two states. Two states. 
Isaiah 29 and verse 24. Those who erred or erred is the correct pronunciation. Those who erred in spirit, they don't have understanding. That's what it's saying here. Those who erred in spirit don't have understanding. They, they need to come to understanding. Those who murmured, those who were contentious, those who had unrighteous conversation, those who tore down their neighbor, tore down their brothers and sisters, talked bad about their wife, their husband, their, their minister, their friends, those who were stirring up strife, those who were contentious. They didn't understand doctrine. They need to learn doctrine. You see, there's two different states that are alluded to here. One state is those who are erring in spirit. They're murmuring. That's, that's, that's one state. They need to come to understanding. They need to learn doctrine. When we get into a bad attitude, especially for too long, it really does begin to cost us understanding. God's not pleased with that attitude. It begins to cost us understanding. When you're struggling through a trial and you become impatient and your prayers become complaints and your conversations with your friends become complaints, probably it'd be more important to begin to pray and fast about God to giving you patience to have a good attitude, to, uh, to calm your nerves and to try to be more pleasant. And then expect God will give you Understanding, and then expect God will start to work you through the trial. If you become impatient and disgruntled, God's not pleased. Now, God's very patient. We saw the examples from ancient Israel. Thankfully, He doesn't just you know depart from us immediately, or strike us dead, or have the earth open up and swallow us immediately. But it doesn't please Him if we fall into a cranky attitude. So, patience is a vital, vital um, kind of. Inoculation against being, uh, you know, being uh, poisoned by by bitterness, which then uh, drives us a little bit farther away from God. <clears throat> I won't turn to it, but we know from Jude, Jude uh, verses 16, 17, 18, that in the last days, uh, murmurers and complainers will come to seek division and disrupt, attempt to disrupt the very work of God. And Jude says it's because they lack the Holy Spirit. We're headed towards tumultuous times where we'll need to grow in patience, brethren. Let's turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. How can we grow in patience so that we can have pleasing attitudes and more pleasing conversations and be pleasing to God the Father, to Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. There are some, some principles here. <clears throat> Romans 12, verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another. We need to practice being kind to each other with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. We need to esteem others better than ourselves, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. Even in the midst of tribulation, especially in the midst of tribulation, we need to practice kindly affection toward others. We need to practice brotherly love toward others. We need to practice deferential, being deferential toward others. 
won't turn to it for sake of time, but James 1 verse 4 says that patience has its perfect work. God can work in you more successfully when you practice patience. Let's turn to 1 Timothy quickly. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6. Paul writes about patience, or he touches on it. 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. But you, O man of God, speaking to Timothy, but again, uh, good qualities for all of us, flee these things and pursue righteousness. <clears throat> well, good, we want to pursue righteousness, God's law. We don't want to you know, go pursue the things of the world. Okay, good, good. Um, good godliness, okay, we want to be godly, we want to keep the Sabbath holy, we want to keep the holy days holy, we want to be faithful you know, uh, to, to, the, to the baptism covenant we've made, and uh, faith. Uh, love, patience, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We've, we've confessed in the presence of many witnesses. You're here among many witnesses. Be patient. Continue to fight that good fight. Pursue righteousness. But remember, patience is a key as well. Let's turn to Mark chapter 4. This... Uh, brief parable, the parable of the sower, um, also does illustrate the value of patience. Mark chapter 4. The parable of the sower. Have you ever thought of this parable in the context of patience? I've heard this mentioned before in sermons, and uh, it's a very true uh, lesson that we can take from the parable of the the sower. So Mark chapter 4, verse 2. Uh, what do we have here? We have Jesus teaching them by parables, and he's uh, teaching them, saying, listen, uh, a sower goes out, a farmer goes out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seeds fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured them. So, you know, they were plucked away by trials, by the cares of the world, whatever. Some fell on stony ground where they did not have much earth. Immediately they sprang up. So they were maybe zealous for a while, but they, they didn't grow deep roots. There was no long-lasting uh, strength there with, with those plants or those people. The sun came up and scorched them, and they died because there was no root. It withered away. Verse 7, some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground. You know the account. Other seed fell on good ground and yielded a, co- a crop that sprang up and increased and produced and you know, goes through the different uh, multipliers. How fast did this good crop grow up? It probably took some time, right? This crop took some time. God's patient with us. You know, we're the crop. We're the crop. He wants us to be zealous. He wants us to grow, put down roots, but it takes time. It takes time to produce a crop, good fruit, good produce. You know, farmers understand patience better than a lot of us who live in the city. If you want a nice sandwich with the turkey, sliced turkey and, you know, pickle on it and a nice sliced tomato. You don't go take the tomato seed and put it in the ground and then put the sandwich, you know, the turkey on your sandwich, then go back out and look for the tomato. It takes a while for the plant to grow, right? And so God's patient with us and he wants us to be 
uh, healthy plants with deep roots that can endure when the sun comes and scorches us. So let me give us three keys to build patience, three practical things to remember to help us build patience. The first key to remember is that patience can still include zeal. Patience can still include, and really should, include zeal. <clears throat> Let's turn to, uh, to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm sorry, chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. First key to build patience. If you find yourself praying to God, asking for patience to deal with trials in life, right? Trials at work, trials with your family, trials regarding finances, trials regarding health. I'm not saying these trials are easy, but if you find yourself praying and asking God for help, and you find yourself praying and asking God for patience, remember that you can also and should also be zealous. God loves zeal. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence. We are all about doing the work of God. We are about producing fruit of repentance in our lives. We're about the long haul, the long, you know, it's the marathon, not a sprint. And so... <clears throat> Each one of you, verse 11, show diligence. There's zeal. There's, there's, there's vitality. There's, again, there's, there's enthusiasm to the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Patience, patience, zeal. They go hand in hand. They really do. They really do. You can't be patient and lazy. You've got to be patient and zealous. And we can pray that God will give us patience and zeal. But you can't go into the other ditch either and just be zealous and then, you know, lose your patience and then start doubting God or not trusting him or turning your, you know, your hand against your friend or whatever. So the first key is that patience should still include zeal. Uh, the second key is that patience comes from God through the Holy Spirit. Patience, true patience, comes from God through Christ, through the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. True patience to be one who could stand in the face of trial like Moses did. When the world is turning against you, when your neighborhood is turning against you, that patience, that strength comes from God through the Holy Spirit. Ask for it, pray for it, desire it, understand where it comes from. It doesn't come from a bunch of self-help books or you just sitting there meditating on whatever. It comes from God through the Holy Spirit. Well, there's room for self-help books, and there's, I, I read self-help books sometimes. There's room for, uh, you know, college. There's room for uh, education. But true, enduring patience that cannot be broken 
that comes from God through the Holy Spirit. Now, are there great examples of people in the world who have been patient and endured? Yes. And maybe you're one of um, 10 million who might be able to have a great attitude, you know, without asking, praying, you know, for it. But uh, for most of us, you, you need to pray and ask God for patience, and it comes from God through the Holy Spirit. And, of course, no amount of goodness, you know, without the Holy Spirit, without repentance, uh, will allow you to inherit eternal life anyways. So uh, we need to pray for the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, verse 25. <clears throat> but if we hope... Um, but if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly, eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Eagerly wait. There's some zeal there, right? We're not lazy about it. We're zealous about it. We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the, um, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. What does that refer to? That refers to us being impatient. That's one of the things it refers to, right? It's when we're impatient. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself or itself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Uh, verse 27, now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. God searches the heart. God wants Jesus Christ to be living in us through the Holy Spirit. God wants us to uh, exercise faith and exercise and grow uh, through faith, through obedience, through prayer, the Holy Spirit in us. God will search in us and see how much we're doing that. And he'll try us to see how well we are growing in patience and in strength and in faith. It all comes from Christ living in us. Verse 28 and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Sometimes it takes patience. It takes time. Point three. I've alluded to it a few times already, but the third key to developing patience is to understand that patience is even more important in the face of adversity. It's even more important in the face of adversity. And brethren, we're going to have adversity. In the years to come. Luke chapter 21. Luke 21. Here Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 15. Luke 21 verse 15. Not just patience but cheerful patience. Luke 21 verse 15. So this is speaking of a time. Uh, when. At the end of the age, we will be brought, you know, God's church will be uh, persecuted severely. Luke 21, verse 15. And God says, but I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And they will send some of you to your death and you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. And in your patience, there's that vital ingredient yet again. Cheerful endurance is a better rendering. You will possess your soul. So your neighbor, you know, his tree limb fell on your fence. 
right? Not the biggest trial we're going to have, brethren. Not the biggest example of when we shouldn't, you know, speak evil of someone or shouldn't become contentious or shouldn't lose our patience. God's church has more intense trials ahead. Let's turn in conclusion, just a couple quick scriptures. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. Well, we don't even need to turn to it. Matthew 5, 5. The meek will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth. Was Moses meek? Let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. Was Moses meek? Yes. Humble, meek, patient, zealous, strong. How about Jesus Christ? Was he meek, humble? No better example. No better example. Was reviled was beat, was spat on, was whipped without sin, without sin. That's power. That is power. Patience. Patience. Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. Very, very familiar Speaking of the church at the end of the age, those who are Philadelphian, the second to the last era, which will exist up until Christ's return. We hope this is us. You've got to reflect these characteristics. I have to reflect these characteristics. Because you've kept my command to persevere. There we see this endurance. You know, Christ talked about this time of trial, and uh, we just read it in Luke chapter 21, when we'll be reviled and neighbors will turn against us and family will turn against you. How will you respond? Will you snap and go after them on Facebook or, you know, Twitter? How will you respond? Or will you respond like Moses and Aaron? Or like Joshua and Caleb? Giving God the glory doesn't mean you're weak. Doesn't mean you're a pushover. Doesn't mean you compromise. Doesn't mean you call evil good just to get along either. But you'll persevere. If you do it righteously, the lips of the righteous, they're pleasing to God. Don't compromise. Compromise on being a thief. God won't keep you from the hour of trial. Remember 1 Corinthians 6? Thievery, we don't want to do that. Adultery, don't want to do that. Homosexuality, don't want to do that. How about contentiousness? How about murmuring and reviling? That was right there. I'm not accusing any of us. But there's a human temptation And we need to guard ourselves and we need to pray for that patience that Moses had, that Jesus Christ had. So we can persevere, verse 10. And also I will then keep you from the hour of trial that shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Revelation 3, verse 10. Patience. Patience. God loves when we have righteous conversation he loves when we keep his law when we don't complain we don't murmur we uplift each other we talk about his greatness his law 
the good things he's done for us, how he's intervened throughout history, throughout time, how he's called us out of the world, the work he's doing. We're thankful for the church, the work the church is doing. We're thankful for our brothers and sisters around the world. We pray for them. We're patient. We endure. Let us remember Proverbs 10, verse 32 in conclusion. You know, we asked at the beginning of the sermon, who will dwell on the holy hill? The answer is, you know, those who don't murmur and those who are pleasing in their conversation. Proverbs 10, verse 32, the lips of the righteous. That's who we want to be. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable to the eternal.